This event was a lot like Shabbat's army, Arf Army sometimes, and also like the fall festivals. They're all of a sudden just upon you. Have you ever experienced that? Like you're just trucking through the week, and you're working hard, and you're up to here with stuff, and then all of a sudden it's like, boom, you crash into Shabbat? <laughs> I know, I, I've had that experience. Same with uh, in our Saskatoon congregation. Planning for the fall festivals has sometimes been like that. It's like all of a sudden they're right around the corner, and we have to get geared up. And uh, that's what it was like for Rosh Hodesh, new moon of the sixth month. It's like all of a sudden it's here, and it's actually this is a this is a significant event on the on the biblical calendar on the on the cycle of uh, the Moedim. So I uh, as I as I was preparing this teaching and doing some research, I have you ever had that, that feeling when you just feel like he's speaking something to you that's that's personal and that's for right now, and that well, in in, in the words of a couple Talmudim, it, it makes your heart burn. You know, uh, they, they, you know, they said, weren't our hearts burning within us as he was talking to us? And I, I, I felt that I was, as I was preparing for this teaching and, and doing this research, so I, I'd like to just take a minute to pray together. Um, of course, we remember at the end of Isaiah, the second last verse, it says that in the, uh, in the future, I assume this will be in the Messianic era, the uh, thousand-year rule of Messiah, the Shabbat is going to be a global day of worship. From Shabbat to Shabbat, everybody is going to worship him. Uh, Yahweh of hosts, and also from new moon to new moon, Rosh Chodesh to Rosh Chodesh. So, you know, we we are the four glimmerings of the Messianic era. We are the first fruits as disciples of Yeshua of that that theocratic rule from Jerusalem. We are we are uh, monarchists, you could say. We support the king who is who is returning, and uh, we support the rule of his law, which is in the Torah. Um, that's actually one of the reasons that I felt prompted to call this group Crown of Messiah. Because we are crowning him king in our own lives, and we have an agenda to crown him king here in Prince Albert, across this province and country. We have an agenda to see him crowned king um, in the midst of his people, as a, as a nationally acclaimed leader, as a popular ruler, like David was. And that day is coming. Yeshua will not always be uh, the fugitive who is rejected by the majority of his own kin. The day will come when he will be popularly accepted, just like David was. David had the fugitive period, and eventually he uh, he ascended the throne. So anyway, today is a day of worship. It's a holy event, and uh, we're not just getting together in the name of whatever. We're getting together in the name of Yeshua, who is alive, and whom I believe is beckoning to us to uh, to encounter him. This evening, so let's, I would like to take a second to pray. Uh, Abba Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for your presence. Uh, your presence is imminent. You are so close, and uh, we want to stop right now, and we want to focus on you. We want to receive who you are and receive what is on your mind for us this evening, as individuals and families, for us as a congregation. Uh, we receive you in our midst, Master Yeshua. Baruch haba b'shem Yahweh. You are welcome in our midst as you as you come in the name of Yahweh. And uh, Father, thank you for the joy of Rosh Chodesh, the new moon. Thank you for how it's a picture of the new covenant, of renewal of our relationship with you, uh, a renewal of all the, the previous covenants in the new covenant that you have brought us into through the blood of Messiah. We value this, Father. We appreciate it so deeply. We thank you. And uh, we look forward to encountering you this evening. I pray that the spirit of the awe of you, Yahweh, the King, would, would be upon us this evening. In Yeshua's name, Amen. This month is uh, the sixth month 
on the biblical calendar starting this evening, out of 12 months and sometimes 13. Uh, after the Jewish people were exiled to Babylon for 70 years, when they returned, they had names for the months of the year that actually had the roots in Aramaic, which of course was the lingua, lingua franca of the Middle East and of, uh, of uh, some of the world empires in that area like Babylon and then Assyria. So, you know, that's why we have these names like uh, Nisan or Tishri. Uh, the, the Assyrian name, therefore, for this month is Elul. Everybody say Elul. I'm okay with Elul. It, uh, it comes from uh, an Akkadian root that has to do with the harvest. I think in Akkadian, the Akkadian root is Elulu. Can everybody say Elulu? <laughs> it's kind of fun. I like the way that sounds even better. But anyway, there are some month, there are some month names that I, I, I avoid at all costs. Like the, the fourth month of the year is named after a disgusting pagan god. That is actually mentioned by name in the book of Ezekiel. Uh, there were some women who were weeping for this disgusting pagan god. And, uh, the Almighty was very unhappy about this. In fact, it was one of the causes of the removal of his glory from the temple area. So however the fourth month of the on the biblical calendar got named this uh, is puzzling, but it happened. And uh, we're, we're in the process of undoing that. <laughs> Elul is the, uh, the, Hebrew, the Hebrew name. Um, this month follows the previous two months of the fourth and the fifth months. And uh, during, during these months, there were several catastrophes on a national scale for Israel. Um, in the fourth month was when, yeah, like two great sins. The, the sin of the golden calf was one, and the sin of the spies was the other. Uh, I'll read you a short quote here from Rashi, uh, a classic medieval Jewish commentator on uh, Exodus chapter 32 and 33. He gives uh, some chronology for this, so I think you'll appreciate this. Just close your eyes and zone in on the, the chronology of this. Um, Rashi says, On the seventh day of the third month, which is called Sivan, Moses went up onto the mountain. So that was right, up, right in conjunction with Shavuot. On the seventeenth day of the fourth month, which is called by a disgusting Babylonian name that I'm not going to mention, the tablets were broken. Okay, so on the 17th day of the fourth month, Moses came down from that first 40-day stint, and the tablets were broken in conjunction with the golden calf. On the 18th, Moses burned the golden calf and judged the transgressors. On the 19th of the fourth month, he went up for 40 days and pleaded for mercy. So Moses' second time up the mountain was on the 19th day of the fourth month. He was up for the last third of the fourth month and for all of the fifth month without eating or drinking anything. Kids don't try this at home, like they say, eh? Woo! Um, he goes on, On the first day of the sixth month, the month Elul, he went up to receive the second tablets and was there for 40 days. On the tenth of the seventh month, the month Tishri, God restored his goodwill with the Jewish people gladly and wholeheartedly, saying to Moses, I have forgiven as you ask and gave him the second set of tablets. So that, that's a quote from Rashi with regards to the chronology of the year that the Torah was given and uh, the three times that Moshe was up on Mount Sinai. So uh, according to uh, traditional Jewish chronology, today marks the day that Moshe went up for the third time on Mount Sinai for a 40-day span. And uh, specifically, it was when the second set of tablets was given. It was when the Torah was renewed 
you could say. It's when Moses received the new covenant because they broke the old covenant that had been made uh, a scant couple months before that. So you can hear, even right there, there are some new covenant overtones to this, aren't there? Um, they're overtones in my mind anyway. Maybe they're undertones for some people. <laughs> um, so that, that's one reason that this is, I think, my favorite of all of the Rosh Chodesh is this is my favorite. Another reason is it's the, the day that I was born on the Hebrew calendar. So it's my Hebrew birthday just starting this evening. Hey, thank you. I, I made it. <laughs> so uh, f- for the reasons I just mentioned with regards to these overtones, this month is often called, quote, the month of repentance, uh, the month of mercy, and the month of forgiveness. So we're going to be getting into that. Some, some of the overtones of this month are repentance, uh, mercy, and uh, forgiveness. Um, we're going to be reading Exodus 33 and 34 after this teaching. That's where Moses actually goes up and receives that second set of tablets. So I think it will be a very fitting passage for, for this time. And uh, we're going to sing a worship song that Colin wrote based on that passage. A um, couple, couple of the overtones of this day... One of them is actually a very romantic overtone. Uh, the traditional name for this month, Elul, is an acronym for a verse in Shir Hashirim, the Song of Songs. Um, you probably, maybe some of you have heard the verse before. Ani ledodi, ledodi li. It's kind of short and you can even hear the rhyme, hey? Ani ledodi, ledodi li. And uh, this, this is the Hebrew for... I am my beloved's, and he is mine. Um, it's in chapter 6, verse 3 of Song of Songs. And uh, there's actually a paradox here. And I want to key in on this paradox for a second, because, because of Moses, and because of the bush that was burning, but it wasn't consumed. I think this could be one of the first examples of paradox that we see in the Torah. And uh, classical Judaism has pointed out that Moses saw this bush, and it was burning which is a natural phenomenon, but it wasn't consumed, which is a supernatural phenomenon. Moses encountered a, a paradox, and, and, and it was that paradox that grabbed his attention. It's that, it was that paradox that made him take a second look and say, what's going on over there? I'm going to go check this out for myself. And so, you know, as he, he came into closer proximity, he had a full-on epiphany. He had a revelation of the Almighty. He received his mission. Uh, and... Uh, I, that, that's like a, that's a general principle, hey. When when you see a paradox in the scriptures, something doesn't seem to line up. There seems to be these two ideas that are at loggerheads. That's where you want to really dig in. That's where you want to pay attention because there's something deep there for you. And uh, th- this is going to this is an example. This is a, this is a minor example, but I, I, it's very relevant to this discussion. In uh, in Song of Songs, two sixteen, the uh, narratress, the girl who's talking, says. My beloved is mine, and I am his. Uh, you could also read that as, My beloved is to me, and I am to him. And uh, then later on, in chapter 6, verse 3, she says, she, she gives it from the opposite side. She says, I am to my beloved, and my beloved is to me. Now, uh, the, the, the idea behind this in uh, the traditional Jewish understanding is, in any relationship you have someone who initiates, you have someone who responds, 
um, you know, in, in any in any friendship or in a marriage relationship, there are there are times when each partner will initiate and uh, the other partner will respond. <clears throat> and and you see that you see this here. In one place, she says that he's mine and I'm his. Later on, she says I'm his and he's mine. You see, you see this interplay, hey? And uh, this is this is an interplay that really <clears throat> comes alive in the sixth month of the biblical calendar. The the very name Elul is an acronym for that. But it's interesting that. This isn't, out of these two verses in Song of Songs, the acronym isn't the one where he is, uh, he's doing the initiating. The, the acronym is the one where we are doing more of the initiating. Um, Ani Dodi, I am for him, Vidodili, and he is mine. So she starts by saying, I am, I am for him. I am going after him. I am initiating to some degree in this relationship. And, and he is to me, and he is responding. Um, I think on a very practical level, I've experienced that in my life at this time. I think this is also true historically. Uh, historically, disasters have happened to national Israel in the summertime, in the fourth month, the fifth month. You know, the uh, the the sin of the golden calf, the spies were being rejected from the land, um, the first and second temples both being destroyed, millions of people being slaughtered. I mean, you know, generally the summer months have not been so great, and uh, then of course. To top that all off, you have a lot of the you have a lot of the people of Israel going on vacation, uh, going to other countries, uh, you know, whatever. Um, maybe that maybe that's how it is for us in summer. You know, we sometimes we almost just check out spiritually. Hey, I mean, we like why, why go to congregation when you can go to the lake, right? And God bless the both is they actually went to congregation Shabbat morning when they could have gone to the lake, and then they went to the lake after. That was pretty cool. But you know, that's kind of what summer's about. You know, in summer you're off and you're going hard. You're working long hours. I mean, you know, the uh, it's around the summer solstice and. Uh, the days are just a lot longer. You can pack in the hours, right? So often, summer is a time when you're just you're, you're engaging in more leisure. You're having more recreation. You're working harder, and spiritual interests can sometimes kind of take a take the back take a back seat. There isn't as much, but summer is still famous as a as a busy season. Yeah, and uh, so you know this is by by now by the first day of the sixth month we're already encountering. The, the summer solstice is over. The days are already beginning to get shorter. We're already on that horrible, horrible countdown to winter that none of us in Saskatchewan are too fond of, eh? And, uh, and, and this is the time when we begin thinking in terms of, I am going to refocus on my spiritual life. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pursue the Messiah anew. I'm gonna start getting ready for the high holy days, the fall festival. You could almost say that, uh, Pesach and Shavuot, Passover and, and weeks. They, they were like the time when our beloved was for us. He was pursuing us as he redeemed us with his own blood, as he brought us out of the Egypt of addictions, of uh, religious bondage and boredom, uh, as he poured out his Ruach HaKodesh, his Holy Spirit on us, and brought us to life. Uh, th- th- these are seasons where he was for us. And uh, because he loved us first, we have come to love him. We've come to respond. And uh, now we're at that season where maybe the honeymoon's a little bit over, you know, spiritually speaking, and uh, now we're realizing, but you know what, Mashiach is coming back. Uh, the high holy days, the day of trumpets, the day of atonement, they are, they are approaching, they, they have showed up on the horizon of our lives, and uh, we're, beginning to, we're beginning to refocus in that regard. 
we're beginning to take those steps back towards our beloved. I, I think one of the scriptures that, that expresses this concept beautifully is uh, something that Yeshua's brother, uh, half-brother technically, uh, Yaakov wrote in chapter 4, verse 7. He, he simply said, draw near to Elohim and he'll draw near to you. So, you know, when you take that step and you go towards him, he's going to take two steps towards you. Uh, this, this, this of all the months of the year is a high time to experience that in our spiritual lives. And I, as I was preparing this teaching, I really felt Messiah saying this to me in my life. I'm, I'm going to let this really be a month where I, where I pursue him, where I let him romance me, where I let him draw me closer to him. And I, I, I think that could also be true for us as a congregation. Maybe it's even something that the Ruach is saying to Messiah's people on, on a general level. Um, yeah. The, the, the spiritual teachings of Judaism, they explain that at the beginning of this month, we are, in Hebrew you'd say, Achor El Achor, back to back. Can everybody say, Achor El Achor? Yeah, you know, it's the time when maybe we've begun to forget our first love or whatever. And, uh, and by the end of this month, as we let him draw us after himself, especially by Yom Kippur, the tenth day of the seventh month, forty days from now, we, we find ourselves panim el panim. We find ourselves face to face with him. Everybody say panim el panim. Yeah, um, Yom, Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. That's one of the major themes: is face to face. It's the day when the Kohen Hagadol, the high priest, would go right into the holy of holies. He would have a face to face encounter with the Almighty, and uh, we're beginning to anticipate that in uh, less than a month and a half. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, out of the 12 main constellations, each one of them has a month that it belongs to. And I'm not talking about this in the, uh, in terms of like the pagan understandings of this that have belonged to the nations. Um, we know who named the stars. We know who designed the constellations. And if you study it, there are several great books on that, how, how he didn't just name them arbitrarily, uh, with, with no rhyme or reason. The constellations that are there actually tell the story of Mashiach. They tell the story of his first coming, coming and what he did. They tell the story of his return. And uh, anyway, the constellation that dovetails with this month is the constellation Betula. Does anybody know what the constellation Betula is? Ten of you. The virgin, that's correct. So this is a time when we get to be that virgin bride who is awaiting the return of the Mashiach, who is uh, letting him romance us. I'm going to read you a... Uh, an analogy from a uh, famous rabbi who lived a couple hundred years ago. And uh, his name is Schnur Zalman. Can everybody say Schnur Zalman? Yeah. And uh, th- this is from Likute Torah. Um, it's, it's, it's a little parable, and it kind of explains something about this month. You can, you know, take, make, make what you want of it. This isn't, I'm not, not saying this is. Bible truth, right? But I think it could have some, some applicability here. He says, it's like a king who, before he enters the city, the people of the city go out to greet him in the field. There, everyone who so desires is permitted to meet him. He receives them all with a cheerful countenance and shows a smiling face to them all. And when he goes to the city, they follow him there. Later, however, after he enters his royal palace, none can enter into his presence except by appointment, and only special people and select individuals. So too, by analogy, the month of Elul is when we meet God in the field. Uh, Of course we know, He is always accessible, isn't He? We always have access to the Father through the Holy Spirit. But uh, 
you know, traditional Judaism has an understanding that this is a time when he makes himself extra available to us. It's like he's inviting us to come to him. And uh, so to repeat that thought, here, here's uh, fleshing this idea out a little bit. The king's usual place is the capital city in the royal palace. Anyone wishing to approach the king must go through the appropriate channels and the palace bureaucracy and gain the approval of a succession of secretaries and ministers. He must journey to the capital and pass through the many gates, corridors, and antechambers that lead to the throne room. His presentation must be meticulous prepared and he must adhere to an exacting code of dress, speech, and mannerism upon entering into the royal presence. However, there are times when the king comes out to the fields outside the city. At such times, anyone can approach him. The king receives them all with a smiling face and a radiant countenance. The peasant behind his plow has access to the king in a manner unavailable to the highest-ranking minister in the royal court when the king is in the palace. The month of Elul, says Rabbi Shner Zalman, is when the king is in the field. The melech is in the sadeh. Um, I, I think uh, one of John Maxwell's favorite phrases is moving slowly through the crowd. Um, when you know someone just just kind of walks through the crowd and just visits with people and makes himself available. And, and this is the month when Mashiach does that in a special way with us um, to allow us to prepare for the fall festivals, to prepare to meet our Elohim on the, the high holy days. So I'll give you a couple of practical applications for this month. These are things that the Jewish people have been doing for thousands of years during the month of Elul. And uh, I think some of them are very applicable. They're things that we can be doing also. I like practical stuff, so this really gets me going. Uh, firstly, during the month, this month, and all the way until Yom Teruah, the Day of Trumpets, this is blown every morning. So I'll blow it for you as a, as a demo. So, you know, if, if you were like, you know, lying in your bed, totally conked out at four o'clock in the morning, and you heard this thing go up next to your ear, like, we would jump, wouldn't we? Whew, we would really jump. And that's the idea behind the shofar. Uh, my brother Colin likes to say that it's God's alarm clock. It's, it's what he has designed to wake us up. And of course, on a deeper level, you know, the shofar is a picture of, um, how his, his ruach, his breath comes through the, the shofar of his word. And it just rivets our spirits. It, it wakes us up. It, it, it shakes us deeply sometimes. So anyway, blowing the shofar. If you have a shofar, I, I highly encourage you, get that thing out and blow it every morning for this month. And, uh, you know, especially if you can wake up before your spouse and get that thing right in your spouse's ear and, and give that thing a really good blow. And it'll, it'll, it'll be a very spiritual experience, I guarantee you. Spiritual experience. Genevieve, but you're not allowed to do that, Genevieve. <laughs> so that is one thing that you can do. Number one, we're going to count these, okay? Um, here's a scripture that corresponds to the theme of the shofar and uh, the, the morning light coming. It's from uh, one of Shaul's, one of Paul's letters. And uh, I'll read it here to you. And uh, this can be a passage that you can meditate on throughout this, uh, this upcoming month also. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 to 18. He says, You were formerly, and listen for these themes here, You were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Master. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness 
and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the master. Don't participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Mashiach will shine on you. It sounds like this must have been some early liturgy of, uh, of Yeshua's disciples. Because he says, uh, that's why it says, he says, for this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, rise from the dead, Mashiach will shine on you. We lost the original source of that, but we have it in Paul's letters. So, you know, that, that can be something that you can say to each other every morning. I remember uh, when, when my brothers and I were all still living at home, when I wake, when I would wake my brothers up in the morning, they were hard to wake up. They were really hard to wake up. Sometimes I would actually blow the shofar in their ears during this during this month, and I would say, "Awake, O sleepers, and rise from the dead, and Messiah will shine on you." It's a classic. Anyway, he goes on to say, "Therefore, be careful how you walk." And this word here, "walk," is uh, does anyone know what it is in Hebrew? Halach. Everybody say halach. Yeah, it, it, it has to do with halacha. And what is our halacha? Our walk, that's right. It, 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 it's how we, specifically it's how we walk out the word. It's how we apply the Torah to our lives. So there's something about this month where we can really focus on being careful how we walk. Being careful about how we actually do the mitzvot on a daily basis. Uh, not as unwise men, but as wise. Making the most of your time. Because the days are evil. We are at the tail end of those evil days in uh, the fourth and the fifth month. Um, from the 17th day of the fourth month to the 19th day of the fifth month, that three-week span, those are like the most evil of the days on the biblical calendar, historically speaking. And uh, they, they're generally called in Judaism, Bain Hamitzarim, means between the straits. So it's that time when you are between the straits. You're going through a, um, a caution area. And anyway, straits. Yeah. Like the straits of... Right. <laughs> like is in you know the Straits of Gibraltar, where you're you're caught between a rock and a hard place almost. So anyway, the days are evil. So then, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the master is, and don't get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But what be filled with the Spirit. And uh, Father, we we do pray for for this upcoming month in our own spiritual lives and in our lives as a congregation that that we would experience that being filled with your Spirit. Thank you, Father. Um, there are a couple of passages that, from Shir Hashirim, from the Song of Songs, that I, I think really apply to this upcoming month, that, that dovetail with uh, this first theme of blowing the shofar, of waking up, um, is uh, where the girl says, I slept, but my heart was awake. So, you know, this is a time when he wants to awaken our hearts to his imminence, to how close he is. And even when we're sleeping, to communicate to us through dreams of the night and uh, to reveal his presence to us in in, in the dark hours. Um, another, another passage from Shir Hashirim that is applicable to this season is, um, repeated quite often actually. It says, don't wake love up until it desires. Don't awaken love until it desires. And uh, this is a month where the Mashiach does desire to awaken a new love for him in our hearts. That is one of the overtones of this month. He awakens our hearts. He, he awakens, uh, that love for him within us. Uh, another, another, this is the second thing that we can be doing during this month is praying through Psalm 27 every morning. Uh, observant Jewish people for this upcoming month will be praying Psalm 27 every morning. Uh, 
it, one of the themes of that psalm is light. We're going to be reading it later during our, our, uh, our singing time. And, uh, so we can watch for some of those themes. But, uh, that's a very, that's a powerful one. And I think there's some things that he wants to communicate to us through that time. Uh, number three, another thing that we can be doing is reading, you can read through Shir Hashirim in the upcoming month, the Song of Songs. You can let him awaken that new desire for him in your heart. Um, you can let him draw you after himself and romance you anew. And uh, he, you can let him bring you back to the core of discipleship, a, a deep love for the Master. I know uh, there have been times when I kind of forget that the core of this thing is love. You know, it's so easy to just go on autopilot and just start doing the stuff without really thinking about why. Um, you know, doing the mitzvot, but not in a relational context. Um, being Torah observant, but more or less just going through the motions. I, I've experienced that. Um, an author actually that's really helped me connect with the core of, of the gospel. And that relational aspect is John Eldridge. Uh, he's written quite a few books that I really appreciated. Wild at Heart, uh, The Way of the Wild Heart, which is being re-released as Fathered by God. Um, Waking the Dead is a great book along those lines. Uh, if you want to read a great book for the month of Elul, read Waking the Dead by John Eldridge. I highly recommend that. Uh, Walking with God is another one. Anyway, that's an author that the Father's really used to help make that real in, uh, in my life. Uh, number, number four that we can be doing during the month of Elul. Uh, in the words of Paul, and this is one of the very first scripture verses that I remember memorizing. My dad had my brother Kevin and I memorize it. And we got this one down real good. And you'll understand why in a second. It's, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Romans 12:18. So, you know, my brother and I, we, we sometimes had our conflicts and our points of disagreement. And my dad would always have us quote this verse when we were in the heat of an argument. And you know, it really was effective in diffusing some situations. So I got this one down real good. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace. Be in shalom with all men, with everybody. So, uh, you know, as, as we begin looking forward to the days of Day of Trumpets and the Day of Atonement, uh, these are days when we want to be right with our Maker, and correlatively, we want to be right with the people in our lives. Everybody. Even the people we really don't like, or the people whose guts we hate, or the people who have hurt us, um, etc. I think we all have people like that in our lives. Hopefully, None of them are in the same room as us right now, or we may be having to work through some stuff. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so you know, so another thing that we can be in prayer about um, is, like, uh, Father, are there any damaged relationships that you want to bring healing to in my life? Is there anyone that I can go to and repent, ask forgiveness for, apologize to, even if maybe... You know, I think they were more in the wrong than me or whatever. This is a, this is a month where we can really, where we can really let the rubber meet the road in, in that area. Um, it's better to do that before than hit the day of trumpets and all of a sudden be scrambling to make things right because the day of, the day of atonement is almost here and we don't want to be caught flat-footed on the day of reckoning. Um, the master's words, of course, apply very well in this upcoming month, Matthew 5, 23 to 24. Therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar, and then remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. Be reconciled to your brother first. Then come and present your offering. So that is something that we can be prayerfully questioning. Is, is there any, anyone that has anything against me where I could go and be reconciled, where I could where I could take that first step 
You know, maybe this isn't only a, a month where we take that first step with the Almighty in finding Him responding so wholeheartedly to us, but it's also a, perhaps a month where we can take that first step with, uh, with other people. Uh, fifthly, Halul is an optimal time to have your tefillin and your mezuzot checked by a scribe to ensure that they're in good condition and fit for use. This is, this is a traditional, uh, Jewish practice. This is the month where you, you know, you take your mezuzah, maybe you think the scroll has degraded a little bit, maybe all the letters aren't clear or whatever, so you take it to the sofa, you take it to the scribe and he, he checks it out. Or, uh, I brought my, my, my tefillin here. Uh, of course we had our live phylacteries demo a couple weeks ago, so I'm not gonna get them out and show you that all over again, but you know, you take them in and you get them checked. Now, I'm mentioning that because maybe we won't be doing that on a physical level, most of us. But I, I do think there are some deeper applications of this Jewish tradition that could apply to us. Um, who is our ultimate scribe? Who is the great Sofer? The great Torah scribe? It's, it's a, the Mashiach, isn't it? He is the one who has written and is writing his Torah where? On our hearts. On human lives. So he is the great scribe. Um, how could we take our tefillin and our mezuzot to him? What, what could this represent on a, on a, on a practical level, a, a deeper level? Um, how could we let him examine areas in our lives? Um, maybe we can just I have a couple of questions here that we can be considering in this upcoming month. Uh, number one, what, what do tefillin represent to us? Uh, we read about how the, uh, the core scroll in the tefillin is the passage that has the Shema on it. So uh, what does the Shema represent? We could be asking ourselves things like, you know, do we, do we say the Shema when we get up in the morning, when we go to the bed at night, do we do we make that time on a on a daily basis for prayer and calling on His name? Um, that could be something that we could be asking ourselves. Maybe we maybe some of us have gotten rusty in that area. I know I do. It's so easy. It's so easy to just start the day and forget all about saying the Shema with Genevieve, especially when I get up at a different time than her. It's so easy to to just slack off and let a prayer time in the morning slip. And before I know it, I haven't prayed with her in days and days. And all of a sudden, my home life is crashing. And I know why. And it's all my fault. <laughs> so that's uh, that's something that we can be asking ourselves about. Um, the Shema, what does it represent? There are two verbs in the Shema. And these are two verbs that we can be keying in on in this upcoming month. Uh, what's the first one? Here, that's correct. And the second is? Mm, not exactly. And you shall love. That's correct. Love is a verb, isn't it? <laughs> so there are two, there are two, there are two verbs here. Shema and Ahava. Ahav. Um, listen and love. And we can be asking ourselves during this time. <laughs> we can be asking ourselves, are, are, am I listening to him? Am I loving him wholeheartedly with my whole personality? Am I serving him with all my time and all my resources? Am I hot for Mashiach? Or am I just warm? Or maybe even getting a little cool? Uh, the, this upcoming month is a time to remember the Master's words to the Messianic community in Laodicea. He said, I know your deeds. He didn't say, this is notable, he didn't say, I know your hearts. Because our hearts are always good. We always love in our hearts, right? It's our deeds where it's hard. That's where the challenge is, where the rubber meets the road. He says, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. 
So isn't that cool? He wishes that we were hot. He wants us to be hot. This can, this can be a month where we let him ignite the fire of his love in our lives, because he wants to do that. Um, what's another thing that tefillin represents? In the book of Exodus, the first two times it's mentioned, it's mentioned in conjunction with Passover and unleavened bread. It says that actually the observance of Passover and unleavened bread is a sign on your, on your hand or arm, and it's frontlets between your eyes. Why? So that the Torah of Yahweh may be in your mouth. Uh, Exodus chapter 12 and I think 13. Anyway, so this can be a time when we can review the past year in our observance of the biblical festivals. Uh, it can be a time when we can even think about some of the practical aspects. Did I clean the leaven out of my house? Did I, did I carefully avoid ingesting leaven products? Did I, did I let Mashiach do a deeper cleaning of my heart from the negative influences that assail me every day? Uh, this is a time when we can be looking back at the past year in the biblical festivals and what he communicated to us and the, the altars that we built in our own lives at points where he revealed himself to us or, or challenged us in an area or convicted us of a sin or, or uh, whatever, uh, gave us an assignment. Um, that's, a, that's another theme that's connected with tefillin, letting the Mashiach as our ultimate scribe just check those tefillin. See, see how they're doing. Um, another thing that tefillin represents is an unshakable commitment to the Word of God. So we can be asking ourselves, have I been, have I been studying the Word regularly? Has, has the Word been alive for me? Has it been jumping off the page? And if it, if it hasn't, I don't know, is there something that I could do differently? Um, do, I, do I need to change the time when I study the Scriptures? Do I, do I need to change which books I'm going through right now? Uh, do I need to change my study methods? Do I need to stop studying by myself and, and grab a study buddy, a chaver, and begin to study with somebody else? Uh, these are questions that we can be, we can be asking ourselves. I, I know for me there are certain times that just work better. I feel like it can really engage in the Torah. I can, it, it really comes alive. Um, and, you know, these are, these are some things that are, you know, we can be thinking through on a practical level. Um, that, so that, that, those are some things that tefillin can represent. As for the mezuzah, what does the mezuzah represent? How can we, on that, uh, metaphorical level, let Mashiach be investigating our mezuzah? Well, uh, a mezuzah represents a home that is founded on a love for and a commitment to the Word of God. When you have that mezuzah nailed on your doorpost, you're saying, I love the God of Israel and I love His Word. I am committed to doing His Word. I am committed to founding my home on, on these principles uh, in the Torah. Um, also represents a marriage relationship that's built on a shared relationship with the Mashiach. This is something that was really real to me when Genevieve and I got married. I was like, wow, I have my personal discipleship. I, I have this rapport with the Mashiach. And it's like I'm, I'm actually inviting this other person to enter into this discipleship with me, and uh, it becomes a shared journey. Um, I have this relationship with Mashiach, and now it's not just me and him relating. There are times when it's her and me relating to him together. And uh, that is something that the mezuzah uh, symbolizes. Uh, we, we can be asking ourselves things like, how has my home life been? Uh, am I one person at home when I'm by myself and or with my family and another person at work or at congregation? Uh, do I have a hidden sin that I need to get out in the open and confess and make a clean break with? Uh, this is this is something that the mezuzah 
forces us to ask. I hear some questions that we as men can be asking in this upcoming month as we review the last year as we let Yeshua take us through that process. Uh, was I a leader in my home in the area of prayer and Torah study? Did I, did I lead my wife and my children in prayer on a regular basis? Did I initiate times to study the Torah? Did I help make those times meaningful, fun, relevant, and enjoyable? Uh, what have I been teaching my family, both verbally and non-verbally, in this last year? So uh, all of these questions, they're like, they're, it's like they're all bundled up and they're, they're tied in that mezuzah. So when we let Yeshua just shine his light on us, we can, uh, we can let him begin to just uh, take us through asking some of those questions as we gear up for the fall festivals. Another, another, uh, another uh, overtone of this month, and it's one that we already touched on, is it's a month of preparation. Uh, Friday is the day of preparation day for Shabbat, isn't it? Most of our Fridays look a little bit different. Uh, I think especially if you're the lady of the household, you have some different activities than you would normally have. Uh, you could say that like what Friday is to Shabbat, this month is to the fall festivals. It's the, it's the month of preparation. It's where we're doing things a little differently. We're thinking in a different framework. We're, we're planning ahead. And uh, we're trying to get things ready in time. <laughs> um, uh, you could see that this month symbolizes the season preceding Mashiach's return also. The fall festival symbolize his return, the day of trumpets, when he comes at the sound of the great shofar. Uh, therefore, this month and these, these overtones that we've been talking about, they symbolize the season that we are in right now as we prepare for uh, for his return, uh, where we're searching our souls, we're getting right with God and with everybody else, and uh, we're awaiting the return of the king, uh, the arrival of the judge. Uh, here's something interesting. The word elul is similar to the root of the verb search in Aramaic. So elul is seen as a time for soul searching. So drop that in your linguistic bag and pull that out sometime when you want to dazzle somebody. Because that's something most people don't know. The month of elul sounds very much like the verb to search in Aramaic. <laughs> so this is like we've been saying. It's a month for soul searching. Um, in uh, traditional Judaism, the, the Sephardim, the Sephardic Jews, will recite special prayers called slichot throughout the entire month of Elul. Uh, that word slichot, it has to do with forgiveness or release, right? Um, they're very profound prayers. They're deep. They're prayers that you can only pray when you're crying out from the depths of your heart. Uh, if you haven't, if you haven't read this slichot or prayed through them before, this would be a great month to do it. Uh, the Sephardim pray through them. Every morning of this whole month, the Ashkenazi Jews um, pray through them from the Saturday night before Yom Teruah and onward. They'll pray them Saturday night after midnight on Saturday evening and then onward, if there are at least four mornings after that. Otherwise, they'll do it for two Saturdays beforehand. Yes? Yeah, the Stichoder and the Sidur. Or you can, you can pull them off the net. Like you can pull them off, uh, yeah, several Jewish websites. So just do a search on Slichot and uh, see what comes up. So, you know, that's something that, huh? Um, Slichot. It would be like S-E-L-I-C-H-O-T. 
e, that first e may not be in there. You know, you'll have to do a Google search, and you know how it has that that thing for people who don't know how to spell right, like me. So you just, you're, maybe you're just typing fast and you bumble the word, and it says, "Oh, duh, did you mean this word?" And you're like, "Yeah, that one, click right." And then it gives you the right spelling. So anyway, you do sleek code and see what comes up. Maybe it'll, maybe it'll think that you should spell it the other way. Anyway, I'm really thankful for Google. I love that feature. Um, yeah. Uh, Here's a, here's a scripture that sums up this uh, this element of of preparing and of soul searching. Uh, again, it's uh, actually we already read a very short excerpt from this. It's from from James, from Yaakov chapter four. He says he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says Elohim is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So this can be a month when we're humbling ourselves before him and before others. Submit therefore to Elohim. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Yeah, see the fourth and the fifth months, they're behind us. The devil, as it were, is beginning to flee from us as we, as we look ahead to uh, encountering Elohim. Uh, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable. Mourn. Weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself in the presence of Yahweh and he will exalt you. So this is the time to let him humble us. And we can also anticipate Sukkot, which is not a time where we're miserable and mourn and weep, where our laughter is turned into mourning and our joy to gloom. It's au contraire. Sukkot is actually a time where the Almighty says in the Torah that we will be ach sameach. We will be altogether joyous. We will be not, we'll do nothing but rejoice. So uh, coming up before Sukkot is the time to do all of this. This deep soul work. And isn't that true on a deeper level, hey? I mean, when Yeshua comes back, it is going to be sheer joy. So we want to get our lives right before then. <laughs> we want to go through that deep work. Um, here's a little drosh for you. Uh, to whom can the person be compared who prayerfully searches his or her soul, who seeks shalom with all people during the sixth month, and who prepares for the high holy days of Yom Teruah and Yom Kippur? This person can be compared to the good and faithful servant, of whom it is said... Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. And to whom can the person be compared who does not prayerfully search his or her soul, who doesn't seek shalom with all people during the sixth month, and who doesn't prepare for the high holy days of Yom Teru and Yom Kippur? This person can be compared to the evil servant of whom it said... If that evil slave says in his heart, my master isn't coming for a long time, and begins to beat his fellow slaves, and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he doesn't expect him, and at an hour which he does not know. Which, by the way, is an idiom for what? For Yom Teruah. It's the day and the hour that no one knows. So I believe that this parable of the master is definitely applying to this month. And will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites, in that place there will be weeping. And gnashing of teeth. So here are here are three passages that we can be praying, that we can be meditating on during this month. Uh, the first one is Psalm 139. The last two verses, verse 23 and 24. Search me, Elohim. Know my heart. Try me. And know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. Uh, the second one is Psalm 19, verses 12 to 14. The last three verses. Who can discern his errors? Equip me of hidden faults. Also keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. 
then I will be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, Yahweh, my rock and my redeemer. And uh, finally, we can also be praying through Psalm 51, David's famous psalm of repentance uh, during the sixth month. So uh, I'll finish my talk here on the sixth month with a parable. It's actually a true story, but it reads like a parable. It's about a famous rabbi who lived over a thousand years ago in Islamic, the Islamic Middle East. He was Arabic speaking. Uh, from what I understand, he was actually a proselyte to Judaism, and his name was Saadia Gaon, Rabbi Saadia Gaon. And uh, here's a story about him. So you can just sit back and enjoy this, because it's a, it's a nice, slightly longer story. One winter morning, two of his pupils happened to be walking in the mountains when they heard a strange sound on the other side of a hill. When they approached the summit, they saw, to their great surprise, their master sitting on the snow-covered ground, weeping, praying, and engaging in other acts of penitence. What could a tzaddik such as their teacher possibly need to repent for? Could he have committed some sin, God forbid? They hurriedly departed from that place. But later that day, they could no longer restrain themselves, and they asked their teacher what the scene they had witnessed had been about. I do that every day, he said to them. Every day I repent and plead with God to forgive my shortcomings and failings in my service to him. Your failings? they asked him. Of what failings does the Gaon speak? Let me tell you a story, said Rabbi Saadia, something that happened to me a while ago. At one point in my life, I decided that all the honor and attention I was receiving from everyone around me was interfering with my service of the Creator. God must be served with joy, and without complete humility, joy is impossible. So I decided that I would spend several months in a place where no one recognized me. I dressed in simple garments and began my self-imposed exile, wandering from town to town. One night I was in a small inn run by an old Jew. He was a very kind and simple man, and we spoke for a while before I went to sleep. Early the next morning, after I had prayed Shacharit, I bade him farewell and was on my way again. What I didn't know was that several of my pupils had been searching for me, and several hours after I left the inn, they appeared, hot on my trail. Did you see Rabbi Saadia Gaon? they asked him. We have reason to believe that he was here. Saadia Gaon? replied the bewildered old Jew. What would the great Rav Saadia be doing in a place like mine? Rav Saadia Gaon in Mayan? No, I am sure that you are very mistaken. There was no Rav Saadia Gaon here. But when the young men described me to him and explained about my exile and disguise, the old Jew grabbed his head and cried, Oi, Rav Saadia, Rav Saadia was here, you're right. Oi, 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 and he ran outside, jumped into his wagon, and began urging his horse to go as fast as possible in the direction I had taken. After a short time, he caught up to me, jumped from his carriage, and fell on my feet, weeping. Please forgive me, Rav Saadia, please forgive me, I didn't know that it was you. I made him stand up and brush himself off, and then said to him, But my dear friend, you treated me very well. You are very kind and hospitable. Why are you so sorry? You have nothing to apologize for. No, no, Rabbi, he replied. If I'd known, if I would have known who you are, I would have served you completely differently. Suddenly I realized that this man was teaching me a very important lesson in the service of God, and that the purpose of my exile had been fulfilled. I thanked and blessed him and returned home. 
Since then, every evening when I say the prayer before sleeping, I go over in my mind how I served God that day. Then I think of that old innkeeper and I say to myself, Oi, if I had known about God in the beginning of the day, what I know now, I would have served him completely differently. And that is what I was repenting for this morning. So that's a story from a famous Jewish rabbi over a thousand years ago. And I saw a distinct parallel with Yeshua's story from uh, Matthew 25, where he said, whatever you did to these, the least of these, you were actually doing it to me. That's how you were treating me. Uh, oh, like even how we read uh, this last Shabbat, when Yeshua appears to Shaul, he doesn't say, Shaul, Shaul, why are, why are you persecuting my disciples? He says, why are you persecuting me? So, you know, as we enter into the sixth month and begin uh, ascending spiritually to the high holy days in the seventh, we can keep this in mind. Yeshua wears disguises. Sometimes he deliberately hides himself from us. It's a mystery. But it's uh, something that I believe is one of his ways that uh, will help us keep stay on our toes, will help us stay alert. Um, I'll, I'll finish that story with this short passage, which I think sums it up quite beautifully from Shir HaSharim. Um, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. The girl says, Listen, my beloved, behold, he is coming, climbing on the mountains, leaping on the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, he's standing behind our wall. He's looking through the windows. He's peering through the lattice. So this, this is a month where if we have walls between us and other people, we'll know where to find Mashiach. We'll find him behind that wall in the reconciliation. Um, if we have walls of uh, whatever they may be in our own hearts, when we tackle those walls and pull them down, when we jump over those walls, that's where we will find Yeshua. Um, he's so close. He's he's walking through the windows. He's he's peeking through the lattice, and uh, he is anticipating meeting with us on the high holy days, the days of trumpets and atonement, and uh, of course Sukkot, a time when we'll be all together joyous. Thank you for joining us in this message. I pray that it's been an inspiration to you in your discipleship to Yeshua the Messiah. Crown of Messiah is a relatively small congregation with a massive mission. We're not just making disciples and teaching the Word of God here in our city. We're also doing that internationally through vehicles such as the internet. It is our joy to offer you these messages for free at absolutely no charge. At the same time, we do have ongoing overhead expenses. It costs us something to produce these teachings and get them out to you. And we would appreciate it if you would, in turn, support our work in a practical way. Help us cover some of our basic expenses. You can do that by going to our website, crownofmessiah.com, and going to the donate page, where you can make a one-time donation, or you can set up a monthly automated donation. I'm reminded of the words of Yeshua's Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 6. He said, Let the one who is taught the word share everything good with his teacher. So, if you're being taught the word by us, we would appreciate it if you would take the words of Yeshua's Apostle seriously and make some type of return for the blessing that we are giving you for free. That way, we'll all be in it together and we will be a team accomplishing the mission that Yeshua has given us. And you will go from only being a receiver 
to also being a giver. If you're like most people, finances are tight. We understand that. Finances are tight for us too. That's why we need people like you to come alongside us and to back us in the work that Yeshua has called us to do. Thank you so much for making that donation at crownofmessiah.com and thank you for becoming a team member with us. We appreciate it.